This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name. And you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening. And thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Before we jump into anything that we're going to discuss, I think it's very important to explain the, uh, the if you will, the three-point plan to interviewing Jessica Abait. Step one. Make sure there's electricity. <laughs> and last week when we were supposed to do this, I thought it was, it just, you can't make this stuff up. We're getting ready. We're both prepared. And <laughs> there's no electricity on your side. And they're at the country. There's no electricity. So I thought that was, you know, that was appropriate. That should be an episode on itself. It's like trying to call you and there's no electricity. That, that's fine. Step two. Today. <laughs> making sure a number of things are working first that there's electricity second that the internet is working and i think we had what are there three connections that we tried today yeah okay we're on number three i guess or maybe number two i don't know (laughs) so that's also quite entertaining for me it's sort of making sure that we can actually do this step three which is the most important one and thank you for reminding me it's the most important part the laptop charger. So as soon as you went to get your charger, I actually plugged mine in as well. So we have a common problem on that side. First of all, thank you for staying up so late to talk to me. Uh, I really appreciate that. I know it's past 9 p.m. in Beirut, but uh, that means a lot to me. And I know people have more free time during coronavirus. It still doesn't doesn't matter. To me, it's an honor. So thank you for that. It's my pleasure being with you, really. And the second part is, uh, I'm glad that we've, we're doing this at a time that I think the subject is probably the most important one. And I'll explain why I have that particular opinion. It's probably one you share. Uh, it's an ongoing problem for Lebanon, but it's reached a, I think, a, a, a zenith point, and we can, we can get into this. The third reason I'm happy is because you're the first person I speak to on this subject. We don't really know exactly what the problems are all the time. But we've all experienced this problem just by being in Lebanon. We all know what what this whole topic is about. So before we jump into that, just your own immediate experience with coronavirus now in Lebanon. How have your sort how's your routine been? And I mean this in, in both your personal life and your professional life. How are you navigating this sort of the later stages of coronavirus? And I'm just curious how your own life has been impacted. So it hasn't been much of a disruption because I work from home originally. So aside Mm. from the fact that I cannot travel anywhere and that does cause a bit of disruption to my work, it just kind of business as usual, just being working from home. So, but of course, once you have constraints of not being able to go out in specific times, then it just psychologically you feel like you want to go out more of course right I'm worried about so many uncertainties like everyone else and of course because 
COVID is just a, a multiplier of the threats and the vulnerabilities of each country. So I'm just worried a lot of how is this is impacting Lebanon and the economy in general. I know that I, I just by following the news that there's been some partial reopening and it's sort of taking hold. Uh, do you sense that things are beginning to return to, and I use this word carefully, normal? Do you sense that things are in a way post-coronavirus or are you still sort of deep into it? It's not, not over yet. I do not think it's over, no, because we're still seeing uh, number inc- numbers increasing. But I think post-COVID-19, we're just going to see how bad the situation actually is in Lebanon, because right. now we're not actually getting a sense of it. So we're going to see how many restaurants and businesses have actually closed, yeah. and the size of, of the actual problem and unemployment, and we need to have solutions. I think we're past having the luxury of just planning things and we need to start getting things on the ground moving. That is the best segue, I think, into the subject that we're going to tackle. I think it couldn't be said better. I'm going to start just by introducing a recent piece you wrote. I think it was for Executive Magazine. It was two or three weeks back. It was the first week of May. Lebanon's new electricity plan. And there's a byline, which I really enjoyed, an exercise in trust. And there's this almost a... Um, a uh, I know that the impact is not meant to be comedic, but it is comedic because it's a repetition. It's an ongoing thing that we all know about, that plan, that sort of existential plan that doesn't get anywhere. But then you focus in on trust and accountability. Do you sense this time around, given the last six, seven months of what we both experienced in Lebanon, that sort of upswell of demand for accountability and transparency, and like you said, a system that works, institutions that work. Do you think this time around, there is a moment to capture? And what I mean by that is, do you sense that this issue, electricity reform, is finally on the table and that it's going to be potentially fixed? Or in your mind, is this sort of just a, we're familiar with this terrain, we're going to see it eventually just die the way we've seen all these different plans die in the past? I just want to mention that I actually wrote that a year ago, but your confusion is actually quite, quite oh. right, quite accurate, because nothing has changed. Oh, I, I apologize. No, no, it's fine, because actually it's very legit, because in that one-year framework, really nothing has happened on the ground. I'm embarrassed. Which about just in the electricity sector in Lebanon, and you know, just so many plans and talks and nothing actually happening. Okay, I'm embarrassed, because I actually do my research diligently. I'd never no, really... I, and I saw this being shared recently on Twitter, I think. So I actually was sort of, you know. Yeah, because I, I reshared it recently because oh, of that. Okay, but and that, perfect. Your confusion is just, seriously, it just, it's just the reaction of everything that's going on in the power sector. It's right. planning, talking about reforms, and nothing actually happening. So if I go through all my pieces that I wrote last year or before, of it's just going to be, it actually applies for now. Uh, do I think that this time is is going to trigger some sort of reforms? So if we look into the power sector reforms in many countries across the across the world, they're more normally triggered by a crisis, which mm-hmm. which could be an unsustainable debt, like the case in Le- of Lebanon. So you need to ha- have political will to implement reforms. Yeah. And when when you have absence of political will in a business as usual scenario, then a crisis can actually make it happen. Now the bad thing. Uh, is that if we look into the political uh, scene in Lebanon, is still 
everyone is still acting as if it's still business as usual. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's super important. So we're not actually responding to the crisis, not on the economic level, but also not on the power sector level. So we're seeing just, um, we're continuing with the plans that have actually written something else on the different, so many of the uh, shortcomings of the plan. Right. Uh, these things are going, so we can discuss that later. And we're continuing in the same kind of planning and momentum, which is lack sustainability, lacks a long-term vision to start with, and a good governance structure. So it's for reforms. You know, and in a way, it is kind of fitting that this could be written any of the last maybe five or even ten years. That it's kind of the continuous disappointment. But do you sense that? And I understand where you're. You're in a way, it's a it's an admittance that the political situation has not kind of, it hasn't reached the tipping point where they see citizen demands as critical to their own survivability. But but do you sense that the protest movement has within it that sort of push that something like the electricity sector could could be could be reformed to a point, not, not necessarily no magic solutions here, but just that that there is going to be improvements on the horizon? Or is it is it still a lost cause in your heart? Because I ask this because you're somebody that is sort of, you're fluent in this sort of subject. And I just want to know your own sort of, your own immediate instinctual feeling on whether or not this will improve in the short term. I would personally say I haven't given up that. Okay. Yeah. might actually lead to something good. Mm. Um, it might be the past protest, but it might also be the future protest as well. Because okay. the way yeah. things are moving, we're not seeing actual reforms, there's no accountability, there's no citizens' trust in, in the government, yeah. and the government, there's no perception from the citizens' part that the government is keen on implementing reforms that fall in the benefits of the citizen. And that's in any kind of reform, whether in the power sector or right. the broader economy or anything, is, is a critical factor. If you do not have citizens' trust, then any kind of reform is not going to go through uh, and it's not going to be efficient. So building that trust will require the government to actually doing things kind of the right way. Now, I like that you're saying that it's potentially the answers are in future protests. And before we recorded, we were kind of exchanging the, 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 the power of a place like Martyr Square, meaning that the protest movement is probably the only way forward, given, the, given what we know, that, this, that all state institutions need massive, massive reform. But all that said, I wanted to ask you about the adjustment to abnormality, and I think you hinted at that earlier. We, for the most part, not all of us, for the most part, sort of navigate this terrain by getting generator subscriptions that we kind of just if you're in Beirut usually it's three hours a day if not longer like last Monday and we kind of navigate that you pay a premium on it and you you live and you adjust accordingly and if it's a city like Tripoli for example perhaps 12 hours a day people pay a lot in generator subscriptions and I'm pointing in on on this issue because I'm curious about the 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 hindrances that prevent the average person from demanding more at least earlier because it's it's almost like any issue that needs reform and when it comes to the Lebanese state the citizens are quick to adapt because they don't think there's going to be anything fixed in the short medium or even long term but is that psychological component part of the story that we've learned to navigate without depending on government electricity it's a sword, no? yeah exactly 
in a way, the Lebanese people have become so numb about anything. So right. when you're actually demanding any kind of basic rights, so electricity is a basic right. When the when uh, the electricity utility is state owned, it's supposed to be provided by the government. It's the least you can do. So. As Lebanese people, we've become so numb and we don't trust the government that we just like, we hear that a lot. It's it just Lebanon, this is the way Lebanon is. Mm -hmm. So it, in a way, it has provided this kind of, for Lebanese to kind of do well anywhere they go because they adapt well and right. they provide alternatives to, to everything. On the other side, you're supposed to actually demand accountability and basic yeah. rights and services. So we don't do that because we just kind of, number on doing on, on all of this stuff right but, but when when we look into the power sector so in the past the Lebanese have actually been a lot in the last on the in the majority at least because not everyone does have a generator and that's very important sure. to mention yes we mm -hmm. do not have equity of uh, injustice in the in the service provision so as you mentioned the farther you are from from the capital the lo the longer the electricity shortage you face and right. you're paying a a high bill for the generators and a lot of people especially in rural areas do not have a generator sub subscription it impacts businesses the ability to actually start a business or run it or run it it impacts the entire economy productive activities it impacts competitiveness because when you're as a business you're paying a high uh, bill for the generator especially your competitiveness on the regional and international level is low so it's also it results in more trade imbalance and all these right. factors but moving forward, so now we have this crisis is also, so we have an economic crisis, a political crisis, a social crisis, but we also have a lack of shortage of foreign uh, foreign reserves. Right. So you need dollars to actually import fuel, whether it's for generators or for the electricity utility. And as this would run out and would decrease and you'll have shortage of electricity, not only on the electricity utility side, but also on the generator side. So these are going to, to actually, so you're going to actually have, if this, and I'm just speaking in a way, if the government keeps keeps this business as usual scenario and they yeah. keep acting the way they are now. So we're heading to a longer shortage of electricity and actual blackout where, you, where, where the citizen doesn't have neither generator or electricity utility. And this is why I mentioned the future protests. That's actually a very destabilizing factor. So it's in a way, in a way, in the short term, there's a there's a good chance that things will get worse, at least in, in this sector. That I mean, I because I, I I'm sorry to even that's it that's a very pessimistic that's a very bleak assessment with a smile, which is why I want to get deeper into this. I, I I share the sentiment with you, but is it that because the state is so incapable of reforming and handling crises that you see it perhaps getting worse? So. I find it a bit, I find it illogical to, to assume that the same people who got you in the crisis first yeah. are going to be able to pull you out of it. It just, right. it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So you need, if there was any leadership on the state level in any sector, we wouldn't get to this. So reforms normally have required a champion everywhere in the world. Yes. And it's, it's, it has never happened that the champion has been there for 10, 20 or 30 years and then they wake up one day and they champion anything yeah. so it has to be a new leader with yeah. actual leader skills because we have political parties i call them daim i i try i shy away from using the term actual leader because we have a very crisis of leadership in lebanon you know i'm glad you so you've said a few things that i i'll try to link and i'll gauge your mind 
I like that you've pointed out at at almost the um, that there's an immediacy to the problem. And I've had several conversations the last few weeks where that the time issue is so important that you can't simply wait too long for things to improve. So there's that time factor. But there's also another issue which you're describing that for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, it's familiar faces, it's familiar ideas, it's familiar ways of governing, and it's three decades or even older. So it's something that both of us have grown up with in, in Lebanon. And these two things are kind of reaching a crossroads. And then in the background, you have citizen demands that are not being met. And then, of course, you have all these other bigger problems that you've described. And then there's a shortage of fuel. And I hope I got this right, that the electricity sector on its own, it's about $2 billion a year in terms of expenses. So, I mean, that's... I, I sort of... I guess what I'm asking is, can we wait for the protesters to yield structural change? Or are we forced at the moment to pressure the current regime into doing its basic job? And I guess it's, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it as, can we wait a few years? Because I, I assume this will take years. It's not something that will happen anytime soon. Or do we have that luxury? Or are we forced to point the finger at what's available and say, we need to hold you to account. So I think it's it's, it's not either or, it just have to run simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Because yes, it does take several years to have new faces or a better performing system. Yeah. And, and uh, it's like whatever it is. Uh, but you need to act in different phases and on different levels. So once you need, if we go back to to the smaller sectorial level of the power sector, we need to fix up first the governance structure and that can't wait and you need to provide electricity, but we need to do it with the most sustainable path to a long-term actual sustainable plan. Right. So now that the power sector has been ad hoc, um, we're going to implement this, get to power barges, and the government has always used that sense of urgency to actually compromise sustainability and building something that's sustainable and least cost. So we've seen like, oh, it's urgent, now we have to get electricity because otherwise it's doomsday. And then I've been, I've personally been hearing that for the past 20 or 10 years. So it's been, it was urgent like when the, the first official policy paper in 2010, it was very urgent. So we got the power barges and we didn't implement any permanent power plant. So if I'm just going to tell you this, and it's actually, it's like, I'm so ashamed of saying it publicly, but last time Lebanon has built a power plant was in 1999. Right. And that's, uh, and it's not even a very big power it's plant. It's a, right. It's like, yeah. And this like, these things have been in the world since 1882. So it's not rocket science. You know, okay, so I, you know, I'm glad you say that. And I'm, as somebody who's naive in the subject, I just want to just ask you, and you say as much as you'd like about this, uh, there are many things that worked not that long ago in Lebanese history. Unfortunately, it's before our time, but it's our parents' generation, our grandparents, and maybe even before them as well. Transportation was a lot more sensible. Um, it's it's just bizarre still to see these sort of rail railway tracks next to the highway at times, and you just sort of look at them. This is from the late nineteenth century, right? We didn't. I mean, that's that's early, early on in in modern Lebanese history, and we did that. I have stories of my parents and perhaps even grandparents drinking from the tap that the water was clean, uh, and we used to 
we used to produce more electricity than we needed. Up until I think the Civil War, if I'm not mistaken, there was a surplus of power generation. And then you have the post-Civil War order, which in my mind just resembles the Civil War with a lot of patchwork, a lot of cosmetics, and it's not sort of a, it's not a proper restructuring of what should be a functioning state. Today in 2020, you have all this sort of, uh, all these great policy plans, and I actually had fun watching you uh, survive an interview on TV, on TRT, and you were, uh, I think you were in Bangkok, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you were I mean, way, way from the problem. But there were two, I mean, all discussing the Lebanese power sector, and you have, you have what seem to be decent ideas being expressed. And you can read these policy plans. They're, 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 there's not, I mean, the intention is always good, and there are decent people that do try at times. But then you have also this sort of lethargic power-sharing machine that seems to curtail all decent ideas in Lebanon today. And if I'm just going to ask you a specific question here, where does the problem lie? If you were to address the core issue of why it's so difficult to generate power in Lebanon and sustain it and to reform an important sector like the electricity sector, what is the core issue? Is, is it simply just a matter of pure corruption that we're not able to tackle corruption? Or is it is it mismanagement that we have incompetent people running the ministry? I mean, I guess because somebody who's who's an expert, if you will, on this issue, what what is the core issue that needs to be fixed? Okay, so what you mentioned about the services that used to work in the past in Lebanon is actually very important. Uh, it's my point of view point of view that after the war, the system was that was built or actually remained in transition for the for thirty years now was just put in place to be a deterrent for any act, violent act, any kind of clashes between, between the different mm -hmm. sectarian um, communities in Lebanon. So it was, it was kind of making sure that nobody's going to actually clash with each other or go into a war. At least that's how it remained in the transition period for 30 years. Right. So we didn't evolve into an actual state. We remained in that limbo for, for three decades. Right. And that has resulted in a way in ensuring that everyone has a say, but everyone has a share of the pie. So nobody has any incentive to actually change whether any sector or, or the actual build a state. And um, so, and that's, we see it, I think, the most obvious in the power sector because it's tangible service. We're not just talking about something uh, that's abstract. So you can actually right. find it in the power sector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were, you were going to well, ask. No, no, but I, yeah, because it's something that we, I mean, it's, it's crazy that we got so used to this problem. But yeah, it impacts everybody in Lebanon. Sorry, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry, go ahead. No, but it's exactly... That's my point of view. So yeah. by ensuring that everyone gets a share of the pie of everything in Lebanon, you're actually ensuring that there's no actual opposition or actual competition. So I normally refer to mm. it as competition because anything for anything to thrive, you need, a, you need a competition. As an individual, if you don't have a competition, you're not going to try to improve anything. And that applies for, for the economy, for the power sector, but also for the state level. So yeah. everyone is just sitting there not having any incentive to actually change anything because everyone is just happy with things 
being as well. But when you say competition, I and I, I hope I got this right, and I've read some of your pieces and, and watched you and, and listened to your interviews, that it doesn't necessarily mean privatization, that you're not sort of encouraging the private sector, at least the way we know it in Lebanon, to take over, that that would resemble the state's mismanagement too. I hope I got that right. Yeah, so... I personally do not believe that privatization would work in a state like Lebanon because mm-hmm. you need to have a specific context for th- for privatization to actually work, starting with transparency, good governance, mm-hmm. being able to actually put a value on the asset, mm-hmm. and a, a, a lot of factors that are not there in Lebanon. So no, and this is why I advocate for competition, not privatization. So privatization is just at the full privatization level is just... Um, changing the ownership from the state to an actual company. It's one company, so there's no competition in the market. Right, right. This is why once once you have more companies and you have private sector engagements, like through PPPs, but also PPPs like public-private partnership should be put in a specific framework and regulation and ensuring the right procurement, solid procurement process, otherwise it might just fall back into a monopoly. So can I ask you though, what does competition then look like the way we know it in Lebanon, at least in this sector? What would that translate to? So we might actually unbundle the power sector. So the power sector has kind of subsectors, which is generation, distribution, and transmission. So mm-hmm. the state can use this trans- transmission through the power headlines. Uh, and uh, you can actually unbundle. So there would be like three, four, maybe five companies doing the doing the generation, other doing the distribution. So it has to do that. And okay. you can actually do the public-private partnership, with, which was actually the 2019 policy paper had the focus on PPP. But uh, there's a PPP law in Lebanon. It was passed in 2017. It's law 48. That's bypassed for the electricity sector. Although in its article 7, I think, it, it, it just emphasized that this applies for the power sector. Right, right. And you need a solid procurement framework because you might actually tender a lot of a lot of projects and they can actually fall back to the same to the same owner to the same company right so this is why you put um, regulations against monopoly and you do an actual transparent kind of procurement you know uh, so you've you've pointed at a few things that I, I've been sort of thinking to myself mostly <laughs> in New York during coronavirus sort of just trying to figure out this topic be- before speaking to you and you've, you've hinted at and you've said this in, in several ways that the end of the civil war is a in a way the the biggest victim is the lebanese state that post civil war the lebanese state is the is the is the is the first in a way to erode and that's sort of a uh, it's almost like a warlike militia intrusion into the state and then taking bits and pieces of it and using it for for ill gain 30 years ago in the last 30 years, are there are there particulars in that where you see potentially big obstacles that are too difficult to overcome, at least when it comes to things like the protest movement or, or for that matter, an IMF bailout or even unlocking the said money? Are, are, there in, are there big, big problems that cannot be fixed unless the whole state is, is in a way repaired? And I guess what I'm asking is, does it go beyond power sharing simply? Are, are there corrupt factors within that that 
have sort of taken over certain sectors. And if that, and you say as much as you'd like about this, I'm not trying to even name names here in particular, but just the the idea of tackling this the what's left of the state and holding people to account. To me, it sounds great. It's something I would want to, but I I find it very very difficult to see certain things happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it's easier. Always, it's always easier said. And, and I'll just give an example that the generator industry, that's one sort of very clear sort of uh, obstacle. And yeah. yeah, so the generators is just one of the many vested interests. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. And the longer you normally have a crisis, and that just doesn't only apply to Lebanon, it applies to, uh, to everywhere, the longer the crisis actually is happening, the more vested interest you're going to have. Yeah. Um, you have fuel economy, you have the generators, you have the procurement, you have uh, an entire uh, vested interest everywhere yes. and that's power sector and then everything in the state of Lebanon so it's it's very hard to actually change that but we've seen in so many places in the world if you do have a champion and they, they might actually make it happen so the face I have for Lebanon and I know it's it's not something that's going to happen overnight and I want to stress that reforms whether in the power sector or in Lebanon in general throughout the entire economy is probably not going to be straightforward or linear. It might actually fall back in some places. Mm. It might take several, several years. But we have we keep we have to keep pushing forward and in and engage all the stakeholders. So it's citizens, uh, uh, civil society organizations, you have the experts, academics, you have the government, but everyone, it, we need to come to that stage where there is public consultation, where everyone is actually involved. So the hope I have for Lebanon is that one generational change, I think, I think that's mm. the top of it. Mm. Uh, if I look into it, into the entire Middle East, so the Middle East has the largest youth population yeah. and most of that is actually unemployed it's mm-hmm. more than 30 percent on average and that's double the global average so unemployment for the young population is normally a destabilizing factor yes which means that this young and the way i see it in the middle east these young people now with internet now they can travel now they see how easy it is actually to to have to have services, it's not something that's very hard to implement. You just need accountability and good governance. And I find that more and more they're stressing for 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 these factors and for accountability. Um, the the of course there's a risk in that, and the more you have unemployment and the govern and the government cannot tailor that for that, it might actually lead to more extremism, or more immigration. But when immigration it was harder. It was hard post uh, prior to COVID nineteen and post COVID nineteen. Sure. It get even worse. Yeah. And with employment rising everywhere in the world, so I f- I think that it might be just the opportunity that these young people in Lebanon are going to to have to actually I have to say I, I cannot actually keep running away from Lebanon. I'm gonna have to actually fix it anyway. So let me understand this right. You're you're betting on the future. And you're betting on the youth that don't have the baggage that maybe even we have. Somebody sort of like we're not necessarily kids on the street. We maybe have some perspective, and uh, our parents clearly lived through the worst years of Lebanese history, modern modern history. That you're betting on a on a sizable number of Lebanese that don't have the maybe the the power sharing tradition that we have. Th- did I get that right? That, that they're going to look beyond the way modern Lebanon was formed and they'll see things yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I, I th- that's my hope, actually. No, because that's a big. That's a big. It's a big demand for the youth, and I think I agree with you that if if anyone has it, it's them. But but do you see them as seeing it that way too, or is this something that they're not even aware of per se? They just want things to work, and that's that's more than enough. So I find that there are they're built in different ways. So maybe the former generation is like our parents' generation was more focused on religion and all this stuff because Mm. they were raised with that idea and especially growing, being through a war, and they were raised through that idea that the other entity, whatever that other thing is going to be, mostly religion in Lebanon, is going to, is, is standing in the way of you getting any kind of services or any kind of actual state so the the politicians have raised fear to be able to govern and i find that this young population actually doesn't buy this Mm -hmm. and they're not as sectarian they're not sectarian like they're definitely still sectarian young population in lebanon but there are a lot of people who who just do not care about this anymore and do not find it as something that's a division factor for lebanon and Mm -hmm. they just realize that actually stressing on sectarianism and uh, uh, religion and all this stuff have have stood in the way of anyone getting any kind of uh, service so it's not nobody's getting power uh, electricity in lebanon it's not one one religious community exactly yeah no absolutely and that's that's clear i mean we're all it is it is very it's always been odd that tripoli's such a big population gets half a day's electricity that is rather bizarre but that's the rest of the country that's not just Tripoli per se so you're absolutely right Beirut is just it's the exception it was an exception I I think so the most of most of the businesses are actually located in Beirut so Beirut used to have 21 uh, electricity 21 hours of electricity supply I do find that at some point in time, especially for the highest consumers, subsidies should have been eliminated a long time ago. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. that was political, I understand. But it's like the easiest way to eliminate subsidy, and it's like a lot of politicians now just uh, just try to uh, to blame subsidy for all the problems of the power sector and all the the debt from the power sector. The easiest way to remove subsidy would have been to provide 24/7 electricity. And right. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Get me electricity and remove the subsidy. It's fine, and it goes beyond subsidy. That Lebanon generates very expensive electricity. There is a very high uh, losses from from the grid, but also non-technical losses. And it's not only illegal connections hmm. uh, uh, connections on the grid, but there is hmm. also billing and a non-collection from the state utility. So it's and this is why I always stress on the governance. This all entirely falls into providing a better governance structure. But can I, can I ask you, these are, these are very, you're able to almost list them, you know, and you're, there's maybe three or four obvious things. Is power sharing the issue there? Because I find it odd. You should be able to just collect the electricity bill. You should be able to check the meter. Uh, you should be able to maintain the grid. Is it is it that power sharing is the boogeyman here? And I'm asking just like the basic day to day thing, day to day workings of a of a ministry, like energy and water. I cannot speak on their behalf, and mm. I'm not going to justify anything or anyone. What I know is that so it's power sharing and vested interests in the sector. Mm. But what I know is that for any, it's like it's a job. Being a minister is actually a job. It's a public service job. So it, it's not uh, it's not prestige. It's not just 
the way it's being kind of referred to in the past in Lebanon. It's not something like, oh, I'm gonna, I like you, so I'm going to name you minister. It's, it's not supposed to be like that. At, right. at least. So it's a job. And if you do not perform in your job, I don't know which company in the world would keep you in a job if you're not performing. And if you're, in a, if you're working in a company that's losing money every single year, right. in, the past, yeah. in the past decade in Lebanon, the power sector, the cost of the power sector has been $1.6 billion on average every year. So that's for a, for a country in U.S. dollars. For that's for a country that it, it's a foreign currency. It's a country that's indebted. You, you do not have any kind of you're just losing money. So the first thing that anyone should have done, and it's it's a basic thing for people to actually demand, is someone to look into how can I actually save on that money being spent. And that seems like today we're in 2020. And we're, we're realizing there was fuel issues that no one was aware of and other mm, things, mm, which mm, means mm. that at least on this section, no, nobody was actually trying to reduce to reduce the debt. And on the other hand, nobody was implementing power plants or even adv- uh, promoting renewable energy as it should be. Uh, so, so we're in a state, we have a non-functioning sector for 30 years that's non-justifi- non-justifiable for anyone. and. It's like if I wasn't a job and I wasn't doing it, nobody would have kept me. So why do we expect the ministers to not do their job and just to stick to it? You know, it's really interesting. So it almost goes to the uh, it's like a pathological problem that the Lebanese state the last 30 years is a state that just simply doesn't work the way we understand it. It, it almost it, by 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 default, it looks at the issue and ignores it because I, I get the feeling that all of these long term problems were, were never looked into. You know, I, and I'll give you an example. I, um, I mean, whenever there's traffic heading north, I take the coastal road and you drive by Zoo and you see that, <laughs> that, that monster. And I mean, you know that it needs repair. <laughs> Even just by looking at it, you, you kind of feel bad for it at times. Like, how, how is that thing still standing? And then next to it is a barge, a Turkish sort of power barge linked to it. And one assumes that that will temporarily maybe heal wounds and it doesn't. The electricity sector does not improve. Uh, and then it's, it's almost like, okay, that, that costs money. And it costs money to even maintain that kind of power plant. Is that part of the funnel that we're throwing money at old, at, at things that are, should have been dismantled long ago? Is it just sort of a, a, a naive way of putting band-aids on it? And then the Turkish barge is just sort of a, a show? That we're like we're trying and not able to. I'm trying to get at the at the maybe the psychological component. It's so, the way I look at it, this is like an example of doing that. It's like you have a house that has no walls. So every time you're trying to heat that house, you you're actually paying a lot of heating. You cannot actually heat it because you don't have right. Uh, Right. So it's costing you a lot in operation and maintenance and everything. Yeah. So you need to buy a new house. You know you need to buy a new house. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that that house is no walls. It's actually the inefficient aging power plants that are not actually being yeah. maintained as a preventive measures as it should be. Right. So these are the house you have with no walls. And then so you know you need to build a new house. So instead you go and rent a hotel. But you convince yourself that the hotel is actually costing me less than my house. But yeah, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so but it's, it's a, te- a so it's long-term temporary mismanagement so of funds. And that temporary solution has cost more than twice than actually building a power plant. Right, and that's the biggest uh, that's the biggest expense for the state. If I'm if I understood that right, electricity costs the most, 
every year. There's nothing that sort of it's part. Three to four percent. Three to four percent. Okay. I mean, I the reason I asked you in a very naive way because I try to keep this sort of. It is something so basic, yet it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be that much of a headache to fix, and that's why when you say the champions need to come and and sort of take reign, uh, are you implying here that? We have to wait for civil society. We have to wait for the protest movement to, to structure itself and organize and perhaps nominate the people that we want to see. Is it is it by 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 championing meaning we need literally a political movement to take shape that we haven't seen yet, or is it something else? So. I do believe that new new political parties have to emerge at, at a state or the other. Mm. I don't, I'm not advocating for waiting for anything because, as we've said earlier, the Lebanese state in its current state cannot wait for anything. But this is why we need to involve everyone, whether it's civil society organizations, uh, the Lebanese public, um, uh, experts, academics, yeah. and the government to sit together to try to, try to actually move this in a sustainable manner until you can actually change the entire state. So the, the entire state needs to be, we don't have functioning service at any level. So right. that needs to be changed. So I would advocate more for decentralization. And I find that, so the power sector, and I want to mention that before, the power sector um, is, a, is a huge mess in so many places. In the world because yeah. it's, it's very technical that it can be, it's very technical, but it's also can you is used a lot as a political vehicle. Right, and right. So, and it's also there are so many vested interests in the power sector in so many in most of the developing countries mm. in the world. So it's very hard to actually implement efficient reforms in the power sector. But in a, in, in no way it should be like thirty years. You do not have function. Thirty years and, and also and a fair, fairly small population too. It's not like we're talking millions yeah, and it's, it, it's a it's a small yeah, population. Yeah, it's a city, literally elsewhere. Yeah. But when you have normally when you have a state like Lebanon and you have uh, a monopoly of a state-owned utility, electricity, electricity du Liban, that's losing money every year. The easiest way to tackle it when you cannot actually change it, have an entire major overhaul, is to, to decrease the monopoly and to make sure that whoever can actually generate electricity is allowed, is actually supported to do that, because right. that decreases the pressure on the utility, because as long as the state now is generating electricity, it's losing money. Yeah. So the right. easiest way to tackle this would be to encourage people to generate their own electricity, to reduce the monopoly, and to decentralize, and of course to promote renewable energy. Renewable energy could have played a major role in this. Right. And so even and I want to mention this because in Lebanon it's not just that we do not have we have issues in implementation and executing policies, uh, and even when we do have good policies and there we have issues in implementation. Like we do have a net metering policy yeah. that actually entails that if you do have a renewable energy system and your facility. Uh, you can uh, submit an application to EDL and request a bi-directional meter. So you can give the excess oh. of electricity you're producing to the grid and yes. take kind of difference. And you might actually carry credit if it's in your favor. But there are, so if you do go and 
that's a good policy. But if you go and submit an application, I've heard instances where some people have been waiting for two years to get that meter. And we do have, we have so now with the economic crisis, we have issues in, uh, in getting a loan for anything. But we do have also a financing mechanism called NIRA for renewable energy. But the process also takes a long period of time. So some of these things could have literally alleviated a bit of the pressure when communities were able or were, and I've heard of so many villages and towns who were actually willing to, to implement right. solar for, uh, for the entire village or so. These things should have been promoted more and, uh, and supported because they reduce the pressure on the electricity. Yeah. You know, okay, I'll wrap it up just by uh, addressing two points. The first, uh, you said decentralization. Are, is, is the Zahli example part of that decentralization or is that something else? Is that an unrelated uh, uh, issue? It's actually, it's, it's actually a good example and it's a good question because so Zahli has 24-7 electricity because it, it has a concession. So Zahli has a concession, I think, from 1924, was it? So they have a concession to to distribute and generate electricity. They did, so what they have is generators, just big generators. Right, yeah. But the issue with uh, um, Zahli is that it was also, so Zahli was getting electricity from EDL at a subsidized rate, at very low rate, and also has its own generator. Mm -hmm. So the issue was, I find that the finances should have been fixed in a way because it was also adding pressure because it was getting subsidized electricity. So you need to, to improve that financial model right. and probably encourage it in a way, especially when you, when the state cannot and cannot afford as well to, to keep losing money. So now we don't have money to, to lose. Do they, do they still have 24-hour electricity even today? Yeah, so what I understand is that now it's under the management of of the government. Oh, so it went back. It reverted to. Either. But they, they still have. They still have twenty. Oh, okay. But but that's that's an example of letting Zahle dictate its terms. Is that decentralization that you would see other regions, in a way, able to have more autonomy in the electricity sector? So Lebanon is very is very small, as you mentioned. That so we need three power plants. Uh, there's a debate on when, a political debate on where these three should be. Uh, Salata is not necessarily is not necessarily a needed power plant, but so you need a few power plants. But you can decentralize renewable energy, decentralize renewable energy, and yeah. and actually, so towns and villages especially could have had this kind of hybrid model, where they where they link whoever could afford to install. So now I don't know with the crisis how things are, but so many villages were willing to actually finance solar TV system that could be linked uh, in a hybrid model to mm -hmm. the generator. So they reduce the fuel consumption from the generator. When you don't have uh, uh, solar radiation enough, you use the generator. And that could have helped and eased a lot of, first on uh, the fuel imports and second on the electricity utility. Okay, so that's okay. So in a way, it's it's tested only in Zahli. So there are several who had concessions. It was electricity de Alay, electricity de Jbel, Adisha, so, and Zahli. So, so, so Jbel did have that kind of arrangement too, with the. So Jbel has the electricity de Jbel has their own generators, but oh, you also okay. feel the power cut, unlike so. Right, power, right. But the, but the utility, yeah. Okay, okay. So that's decentralization hasn't really properly been tested. Uh, with the exception of something like so it wasn't i find that a good model would be uh 
would be a hybrid model of both centralized yeah. uh, of three power plants and then mm -hmm. centralized uh, utility scale renewable energy, but also promote, promote decentralized uh, small scale renewable energy, especially for productive activities, especially for industries, because it does reduce the costs that now that now they're paying uh, from from the diesel generators and it does improve competitiveness. It seems so straightforward, and that's kind of the perplexing issue for me. It's that you can kind of that's that's one way forward, and it's never really been done. So I, I hope this time around, the protest movement has within it to at least test test these things with the champions that you're referring to. The last point I want to wrap it up here, which is the in a way it's being discussed left and right now. It's this IMF bailout, and it's said as well unlocking that money. Do you think that kind of assistance? can contribute to reform in the electricity sector, that there will be enough conditions and that there will be enough accounting, that there will be enough sort of oversight where you could see the beginning of state reform, at least on the top. It's almost like a uh, an, on an international level, looking at the Lebanese state, not not the protest movement per se. It's not that, not that bottom-up pressure, but in a sense, top-down. Top meaning IMF or said and down meaning the Lebanese state and how, how we know it. I'm never going to promote an IMF program. <laughs> I know that austerity is very hard for everyone. Okay. So, but it's like what we need first is accountability and transparency and good governance and for a vision for the sector. So now I hear a lot. So there are policies and plans for the sector, but it's like what's the vision of the power sector? What the power sector is going to look like? Not not just tomorrow, but in a ten-year period or. So we don't have that. And that doesn't come from an IMF program. It comes from people willing to actually change their country. And uh, so, and can I indulge in self-promotion? <laughs> I have that. <laughs> okay. I mean, <laughs> I look, as long, okay, yes, you can. But as long as uh, at some point you put on a mask with a fake mustache and the glasses and you nominate yourself as Minister of Electricity, but I think I know her, but she sounds familiar. I was gonna aim for president. Oh, you're, you're aiming, oh, I see. Isn't that sort of a secondary post though? Don't you want the real, don't you want power? Literally power? Self so everyone is just, just wants to be president, why not? Self-promote as much as you'd like. I'm not Maronite, I don't have an eye on presidency or anything, but uh, I just wanted to say that I wrote a piece on, on that, on the reforms, and it must, it's not necessarily that any reforms are going to be are going to be efficient reforms, and that it's actually a long process, and everyone needs to be, and you need to engage all stakeholders, build, uh, so the piece is not out, but it's going to be out in the next few days, that was the self-promotion, oh, okay. but it actually revolves around having a vision and good governance structure, and then uh, having... Um, uh, engaging citizens, building their trust, but also building the trust of investors, which comes through a good regulatory framework and solid procurement. Because at any point in time, some of the major shortcomings of reforms in developing countries is that the power sector does not attract enough investments, so it does fall back into issues and shortcomings. So you need to be able to attract investment, which you need to, to improve your governance, your, uh, your procurement, and also your regulation. Uh, reducing subsidy alone doesn't cut it for Lebanon. We need to have uh, cheap uh, generation. So we need to adopt the least cost uh, planning for the sector. We need to cut down on uh, losses, but 
governments normally just overestimate how easy it is to cut down on losses and a lot of bunch of other stuff. So reforms could be triggered, and this is my key message. Economic crisis can trigger reforms, but we need to all push forward to have efficient reforms and sustainable power sector. You know, I'm, I'm, I like that you're keeping the focus on local politics and and domestic accountability. And I also find it, it's, I, I agree that the answers should not come outside of Lebanon. And if they do, they should be lining up with protester demands. And, and it is up for Lebanese at the end of the day to determine how they want to live in Lebanon. And I agree with you. I, I, I hope the youth... Can I, can I add one? Oh. Yeah, no, no, please go ahead. It's not protesters demand i feel I, it's just literally just basic citizens right to have a performing power sector to have electricity that's not they're not paying uh, a high cost for and that's yeah. actually performing well and it also applies to, to to the other sectors so the protesters are not asking for anything that's that's literally huge that's just like basic rights and this should be all citizens demands to actually have a performing state in a way it's part of the tragedy I mean, it, it, in a way, it, it says the whole story that a protester demanding something in Beirut is actually asking for his basic dignity. Right. And that yeah. is, that's, I think uh, it's quite telling that how, how bad things have gotten in, in Lebanon. Uh, but to end it on a, on a positive note, um, I, I, I'm glad you're able to kind of walk me through. It's almost like the idiot's guide to electricity reform. <laughs> That, you know these um, it's, it's very hard it's yeah. very hard so it's very hard for everyone no. and it's like as you said it's there's no magic trick we're not going to wake up tomorrow and everything is fine but people should be part of the process and they should be engaged and they should know how long it's actually going to take and there should be transparency transparency is a hundred percent I completely agree with you something we've lacked too long and uh, I'm going to link up a few pieces your 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 executive piece from last year again apologies for the year i might even put 2025 just to see what happens <laughs> we'll be doing I hope not. yeah me too although it is it does go to 2025 which is kind of uh, maybe it's fitting we should talk about it in five years uh, also the um, there's a forbes middle east piece that i looked through recently i believe it was released over a year ago uh, and I kind of I'll, I, this was a sort of a back and forth between you and the previous minister of, of energy, uh, Cesar Abu Khadir, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So there's that piece. And with your permission, once you have your upcoming piece uh, released, I'll, I'll tag it to the episode. It'll be available. People listening and watching can uh, can click in. Jessica, thank you for taking all of this time. And thank you for keeping your electricity going. I don't know what kind of wasta you have, but it didn't go out. <laughs> didn't go out this time. I just like lit a candle and just prayed it will go. <laughs> yeah, and I really enjoyed your analogy of living in a home without walls. That's something I can see, and I, I, I it's almost like uh, it's impossible to fix the way we've been trying. That it's time to sort of close that door and open a new one. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. And a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. <laughs>